Chief Manager's Global Headquarters. This is Around the Block with Jeff and Dave. Good day, crypto world. I'm Jeff. And I'm Dave. And there's just so much excitement in the crypto world today. Uh, we got Bitcoin, 9,000, uh, which is just an exciting thing. I mean, it looks like over the last few days, Bitcoin has been on the rise and along with it. Uh, a lot of the other alternative cryptocurrencies are experiencing a similar increase as uh, the world uh, basically refocuses their attention on something that's a little bit more uh, volatile or uh, has more action over traditional IPOs. Tim Draper, for example, says that Bitcoin presents an enticing proposition for investors bored with the over-regulated public market. What do you think about that, Dave? Well, I think Tim Draper's a wise man. Uh, people are uh, worried about a lot of things, whether they be stocks and whatever uh, their investments are. And and uh, so far, I think that Bitcoin is, what what's its track record so far in its 10 years? It's outperformed everything, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It has. I mean, Tim said the public has gone, huh, who cares? We've known about Uber and Lyft forever, and it's boring. It's not going to grow at 100% a year. It's going to grow like 10 20%. And then you got Mark Yusko, you know, the CEO of Morgan Creek Capital Management. He says that Bitcoin is a better bet than stocks. Uh, so I think that's just where a lot of the smart money is now getting into Bitcoin. Well, the, I think you just nailed it right there. Hit the hammer or hit the nail on the head by saying the smart people, because there's still an awful lot of them out there that, you know, the Mr. Wonderfuls of the world that, uh, or the Peter Schiff's of the world, they just don't get it. Right, right. Well, I'd love to have Peter Schiff on the show. I'd like to talk to him about what some of these people say, and I'd love to see what his opinion is uh, on that. I mean, I know he says that gold is real interesting, but um, yeah, I think there's just a lot of interesting things out there. For example, Facebook says that they're going to do their own cryptocurrency, some kind of a global coin in 2020. Uh, quarter one, 2020 is, is what they're saying. And they've already been talking with several banks, uh, such as the Bank of England, uh, to help back the project. So, I mean, would you use a Facebook global coin? Well, you know, there's so many unanswered questions on it right now. The Winklevoss twins have actually, uh, they're, they're talking with Zuckerberg. You know, those guys have been arch enemies ever since their court case and uh, the 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 lawsuit that the Winklevoss twins won with Zuckerberg, uh, what ten years ago, or I guess wasn't that long ago. It was maybe eight years ago, but you know the, they're working with him, and they're also working with uh, uh, Coinbase, and they're discussing this global coin. Now the question is: is are they going to? create a whole new coin out of thin air because they've got huge developers working on this project right now and coders. Uh, the question is, is are they going to just develop one from scratch? Or are they going to take something that's already out there like Stellar or EOS or whatever and adopt it and make that their their global coin? 
So is it going to be a native coin or is it going to be a brand new coin that they're going to develop? The other question I think that's hanging is, is it going to be centralized or decentralized? Uh, I mean, if it's centralized, you, you people have their option. Do you really want to use a centralized coin? So it, it's getting it's going to get interesting, I think. Quite right. I mean, there's just a lot of questions there. And, you know, we even asked Tim Draper about that a, a little while ago on the last show. Uh, and he also says that it seems like the market's going to be moving away from these stablecoin type investments. Um, so it's interesting that Facebook is trying to create some kind of a new global stablecoin. Um, and I really wonder how well that's going to that's going to work out. And that's the thing. I mean, is it going to have a distributed ledger or is it just going to be another like Ripple where at any time they can take their money away from you? So not your keys, not your coins. There it is, you know, and as people get more, as we have more major adoption and people get more understanding of the cryptocurrency technology and uh, they, they, they get to make these choices, you know, do, do I want to buy... Monero, or do I want to buy this other coin? Well, you know, what does this coin represent? I mean, use Ripple for example. We've all heard there's the, the things about Ripple where it's seventy percent of it is owned by the shareholders, and they could reshuffle the deck at any time. I'm I'm not sure how much of that's really true, but um, I just know that each one of these ICOs or each one of these coins, they got their own different set of quirks, if you will. Yeah, that's the deal there. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what Facebook uh, does and what choices they make. And keep in mind, I think a lot of other companies are watching what Facebook is doing. And I think there's just going to be a lot of lessons learned. I mean, for all we know, this global coin could be Facebook's version of MySpace, where they just simply missed the boat because they didn't know and they made bad decisions. Well, that's that's what's going to be the key thing, I think, for our, our listeners to, to watch, because once they do develop this coin, I mean, win, lose or draw, if it starts out at a penny a coin and they've dumped a billion dollars into creating this or whatever, that might be something you'd want to put in your portfolio and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, we're now definitely going to keep a close eye on that one at uh, BTC Manager. We're definitely going to track that one. But we do we do not give legal advice on this uh, on this radio show, so please keep that in mind. Or right, uh, right. financial advice. Yeah, never invest more than you can afford to lose. Um, you know, myself and Dave, we hold a very small amount of crypto, um, but uh, that's the thing. We don't uh, give financial advice on this show. You should consult with your financial advisor before doing anything because as we've seen, there are a lot of debt coins out there as we like to call it. You know, uh, a couple years back in 2017 when Bitcoin was on the rise again, there were a lot of ICOs. It seems like every other day there was another ICO and some of these ICO made off with, you know, millions, many millions. And, you know, then the project was abandoned as the Founders, XX scams everybody, and here we are again with, you know, a lot of investors saying that uh, that bought these uh, debt coins at the end of the day, 
uh, they said, you know, hey, it's all a scam. Well, not really. It's just these, yes, there are scams out there, just like there are scams in countries like Venezuela. But if you go with the standard bearers, you know, the fully distributed coins like Bitcoin, uh, even Ethereum, those ones are fully distributed. Uh, there's no centralized authority, and these are the ones doing really well. So, um, so this year, it seems like there's not a lot of ICOs. It seems like a lot of investors have learned their lesson on that. So, I think that a lot of this too, it's it's really similar to what happened. You know, we since 2017, we've been in a crypto winter, and. Um, and we're in Bitcoin's coming out of that finally because they we had to shake these the tree on these ICOs and see which bad ones need to fall out. It's really similar to the uh, to the dot com bust back in two thousand when you know everybody was investing into dot coms and 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 some of them were just flat scams and some of them were very legitimate, but uh, we just had to do this huge shakeout. And and that's basically what's going on in the crypto industry right now. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to give us a call. We've got a, um, a number that's uh, toll free. It's at 808-825-6255. Or just below our show page, the discussion area that you can uh, post a comment and we'll definitely include it on our show. There's no tip too small. There's no lead too big. Send them our way. We'll check it out. Uh, speaking of checking out things. It seems like Bulgaria holds over 200,000 Bitcoins in reserve. Wow. Now, does that mean are they going to be one of the first countries who uh, make uh, um, cryptocurrency their, their sovereign currency? I really wonder because, I mean, if that's in the public treasury, I mean, there are just so many questions. Like, what happens if... You know, Bitcoin goes to, what was it that McAfee said? It was going to go to some, like, million dollars a coin or something? Well, he he said it's, he feels it's going to hit a million. He's got a bet out there. Uh, we won't we won't uh, get into it too deep, but he's he's been saying this actually for several years, that he, he feels that Bitcoin will hit a $1 million value by the end of 2020. And initially it was at 500000 but then he upped it to a million. And he claims it's all just math-driven, you know, based on adoption and uh, institutional uh, investors coming into the scene and um, and just everything that's happening in the crypto space. So that's the thing. I think if it goes to uh, even 100000 a coin, I mean, that would be a whole lot of reserves that Bulgaria is going to be sitting on, which makes me really wonder uh, who's the one holding that wallet. It's just it just amazes me. You can do so much with two hundred thousand BTC because of the 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 divisional of, of eight decimal points. Not the thing they're sitting on it, which makes everybody else's holdings uh, worth that much more at the moment because there's only twenty one million Bitcoin, right? There's only twenty one million, and you know what's amazing is uh, we were reading something last week that we we chatted about uh, Jeff, and that was that there's. 10.5 million bitcoins that haven't even been moved in the past year. Now, there's some serious hodlers for you. Right, right. So that's the deal. I mean, I think there's a lot of 
interest in Bitcoin. Uh, there's a lot of ways to spend your Bitcoins. Uh, talking about spending, I mean, there's first.io for buying things on Amazon. ATT is allowing some payments now. Uh, you can spend it at Starbucks uh, and all those other restaurants. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to spend your currency, but um, I think a lot of folks don't know that it's possible to earn in crypto. A lot of a lot of places are finding that uh, people want to earn uh, crypto directly. I mean, there's that one NFL player that says, "Pay me in Bitcoin." He tried anyway. Uh, well, now now there's other NFL players since he's kicked this, stirred this up. There's a whole bunch of other NFL players uh, that that want to get paid in Bitcoin as well. But that's the thing. I think there's a lot of interest on how to earn cryptocurrency. And sure, the simplest way is if you have a, a crypto wallet, um, either a ledger, which, by the way, next week, we're going to review the ledger Nano X uh, live on the show. I'll take you step by step through the unboxing and the use of a ledger Nano X. Oh, and, cool. But if you have that, I mean, you can talk to whoever and say, hey, send me some Bitcoin to this address on my ledger. And mm -hmm. it'll go there. But I think people think, oh, you have to be super technical to earn crypto. And that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, countries now getting into, whole countries getting into crypto. And there's just all the usual sets of operational things that need to go with it. For example, marketing, you know, operations. Uh, analysis, you know, working with spreadsheets, even intern jobs. You can see some of these jobs at crypto.jobs. If you go to that address in your browser, you'll see a whole list of just hundreds of different jobs. They have 1,300 active job listings, and that number of job listings are growing every day. And even outside of that, uh, there's another project called Gitcoin, founded by Consensus. Um, Kevin Awaki came from a consensus and he founded that project where you can earn a bounty. This means without even going through a formal application process, if you have a solution to any one of the uh, projects that are on there, and it could be something as simple as documentation uh, to through more complex things as, uh, such as coding. So you can go in there and you can explore all the different bounties that they have up there. They have uh, millions of dollars worth of bounties on there uh, at the moment. Um, so I would definitely check this site out and, you know, see what what's out there that you could do. Now, what's the uh, name of that? What's the name of that again? Crypto Jobs or? Crypto.jobs is the first site. And the second site is gitcoin.co, G-I-T-C-O-I-N.co. So definitely check out both those sites and, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to earn crypto now. Uh, one of the people uh, just over the past uh, few months, he worked on three different bounty projects and he earned over $42,000. That's wow. not bad. That's, that's, not some bad. that's some serious crypto. Right, right. So... Definitely a lot of ways to participate. You don't have to be an investor anymore these days to earn uh, crypto. Just have a little bit of time, have some skills, and 
you can also be a hodler at the end of the day with that. You know, and that's such a cool concept because people people think that they're so restricted and tied down nowadays. Heck, you can go to any country, you know, Argentina or Venezuela, or not Venezuela, not, probably not, but Honduras, uh, uh, Acapulco, and, you, you know, you can earn crypto and live like a king down there. Right, right. Well, consensus is saying uh, that the top two countries in terms of the blockchain development talent pool is the United States and India. Oh, wow. So a lot of people are getting into crypto, and I think this is going to be the next uh, bit of the gold rush uh, in that people realize it's more than just relying on like a U.S. dollar or a particular fiat currency is now you can rely on Bitcoin uh, to earn it and to spend it. Well, and you talk about spending it. Um, I mean, I, I think we're going to get to this point where we, we keep saying, oh, look, who's taking Bitcoin now? at and is going to accept it for their payments. And Dish, Dish has been accepting Bitcoin for, gosh, since I can remember. But soon, I think, we're going to have this crossover where uh, it's like, who doesn't take Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Right, right. And one of the areas uh, that seems to be most in need of modernization has been healthcare. Uh, so there's a company called Solve.Care that has an end-to-end -end solution for the healthcare industry. And uh, they've been making some major inroads. So uh, stay with us as we now uh, are going to interview Pradeep Goel. Uh, but before that, if you have any comments or questions about our show, just go to our show page and uh, leave a comment at the bottom of the page. Or, hey, Dave, what's our, what's our digits? You could just give us a call at 808-825-6255. I'm Jeff. And I'm Dave. Stay tuned for our interview. Well, this is Jefferson, and I'm here with Pradeep Gaul of uh, Solve.Care. Um, been uh, working for the last, uh, I guess, couple of years now on building out this organization. And it's a blockchain-enabled uh, healthcare solution, and it's already in operation. They have uh, actual patients and doctors and healthcare networks, if you will, that are using uh, this solution right now, and they recently signed uh, a deal with uh, Lyft uh, to provide uh, patient rides, and uh, they actually have a couple of more exciting announcements. So with that, let me just first uh, say welcome to the show, Pradeep. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me. Cool, cool. So uh, let me just start off with a little background. I mean, how did you... Uh, get into this uh, solve.care. I mean, blockchain is so new. And I mean, how did you, did it just happen or how'd you get into it? So I've been, this question gets asked a lot. I've been in healthcare all my life. So healthcare benefit administration and healthcare payments and healthcare co care coordination is what I've done my entire career, which is, I am afraid to admit almost 30 years. Uh, so as a, uh, executive on the payer side or insurance side as a 
very much involved in public programs like Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, SNAP, TANF, which are all the public programs targeting different populations in the U.S., uh, also consulting with organizations doing business, uh, similar businesses in China and India. I got to see healthcare from all angles, uh, and it has been a privilege to learn healthcare from all these angles, but also is a challenge to, to accept the fact that healthcare system isn't working for, for people as it should. And I think it has just evolved over the years the way it has, not because somebody sat down and plotted a Machiavellian plot, but just industry evolved in a direction that doesn't serve the vast majority of the people as effectively as it should. So I got into designing the solution, a patient-centric solution, not recently, but several times in the past, uh, both from when Obamacare was launched around private, uh, around exchanges, around Medicaid expansion, around commercial insurance model, and so on. And I found a consistent pattern that we keep building these massive back-end silos, we call them eligibility system or enrollment system or whatever, and then we complained that the patient and the doctor have no role in it. And my answer always was, but we gave them no role in it. We excluded them. We put them outside the castle, built a huge wall up. And then we said, why can't you jump over the wall? You can't do that and then complain. So back even as a CIO of, an, of a Blue Cross, you know, we used to talk about member centricity, provider engagement. But we, we did precious little actually to make that happen. So having seen all that, you know, it dawned upon me through some personal need and when, uh, when my own medical needs and my family's medical needs became profound, that time to talk is over. We got to do something different. And while this is a big challenge, uh, somebody has to step up and say, there is a better way to do it and show the way. And as I like to say to my team, you know, it may not be done in my lifespan, but we're going to start the journey that is long overdue. So my experience gave me the insights as to what to do. My technology experience gave me the site, insight how to do it. Then it just took a lot of courage to actually go about doing it. That's how SolveCare got started. And then blockchain happened to be the technology we needed to decentralize processes, to distribute trust and authority, and to, decent, to, to push payment to the point of care and point of need instead of 90 days retrospective payments that healthcare always does. So blockchain happened to be the technology at the right place at the right time for us. And we recognize the potential of it, not because we needed to use blockchain, but because we realized using it could really help break this system silo-centric approach to process payment and care delivery. And we are really glad we picked it because uh, we are finding more and more effective and unique ways to deploy distributed ledgers than most anybody else in the market because we have a profound problem and we understand uh, how blockchain can actually help reshape the relationship. So we, we found blockchain because we were searching for a solution uh, and it uh, really gave us a great foundation on which to build upon. Amazing stuff. Well, uh, to get into a couple of the detail, I mean, you mentioned uh, your own family's uh, medical problems. And I know a lot of Americans today are faced with that very thing. I see uh, more and more uh, just getting sick, really just getting sick, um, causes people to go on to GoFundMe. Uh, they go on to uh, other uh, private fundraisers and whatnot, uh, attempting to raise money just to cover their sky-high medical bills. 
So tell me, what, how is uh, solve care uh, positioned uh, to help Americans uh, or even citizens in other countries uh, to be able to uh, get better medical care? So it is, and that is a very complex um, problem. And it, it, if you look at healthcare, it sort of boils down to the following pillars. Do you have access to the right care when you need it? Do you have the ability to afford the care and pay for it? And do you have the ability to measure the results of care to make sure that you got the right care with the right outcomes, right? Those are kind of the foundations of measuring effectiveness of any healthcare system, US or Uganda or UK, it makes no difference. Accessibility, affordability, and outcome-based metrics are gonna drive the quality of healthcare everywhere and anywhere in the world. When you look at US, there are particular challenges around access and affordability, and affordability being a bigger challenge than access. But in other countries, the, the weightage of problem may sit more on maybe on access, access and availability and less on affordability and so on. But the, the three pillars of healthcare don't really change country to country. Now, when you come to US specifically, the US market falls into very clear segments. You have the big segment of the US population covered by public programs, Medicare, Medicaid. And our goal on that particular segment of population is to give them clear understanding of how they can use the government-sponsored or uh, state-sponsored programs and how, what benefits are available to them and how to access those benefits and how to utilize them. Uh, so there we are looking for focus on access and transparency and, uh, and uh, availability. So things like making an appointment, getting a referral, getting a transportation support to get to the doctor because these kind of population groups don't have the, the functioning capabilities. Maybe they're ill, maybe they're uh, unable to travel uh, alone, maybe they can't afford the taxi ride. So we are trying to, uh, not trying to, we're working very hard to focus on the needs of these population groups by giving them the right package of benefits in an easy to use deck of cards in their care wallet. And you'll be surprised how many uh, inefficient and uh, ineffective uh, you know, uh, scenarios we can optimize by using the, the blockchain and the DLT, the distributed ledger, to coordinate activity between the patient, the doctor, the care sponsor, the caregiver, the family members, even the transportation driver who has to get you to the doctor. Once you get those people to recognize the value of coordination and collaboration, uh, it is incredibly powerful how much money can be saved and how much human suffering can be eliminated. Then you have the second segment of the population, which is most of the Americans fall under that, which is the employer-sponsored insurance. Most of us get our insurance, or at least a vast majority do, uh, by essentially having their employer buy their insurance for them and subsidize part of it in terms of paying part of the premium. There we are focused on things like ensuring that people know what they bought in, the, in terms of benefits they receive, for the insurance they pay. And remember, most people end up just having the insurance premium deducted from their payroll. So nobody even remembers that they, you know, what they're paying, how much they're paying, and, uh, and how to access that insurance plan properly. So delivering that transparency, accessibility, and, uh, and uh, proper utilization of benefits that everybody practically pays for, but almost nobody understands, is a big part in bringing insurance in from a from the realm of, I pay for something that I hope will be there for me when I need it to, I understand exactly what I can and should do with my healthcare.
And the third segment of the population is self-care or self-insured, where people are buying insurance themselves, paying premium out of pocket. There is no subsidy from the government. There is no subsidy from the employer. And there, the issue is really about affordability, right? I mean, you could be paying $1,500, $2,000 a month in premium, and you want to make sure that you are able to properly utilize it, not because you have it, therefore you must use it, but because you have it, you should know how to use it when you need it, which is when somebody in your family is sick. So there we are focused on that element of it. Each segment, we have different use cases. Our use cases are delivered through Care Wallet. And for employees, we have benefit use cases or care cards, which are specific to wellness and well-being and prescription management uh, and appointment setting. In the public program, I mentioned transportation and pharmacy and home delivery of home care and home delivery. In terms of self-insured, it's accessibility to the doctor you already have or it's the visibility into what your benefits are in terms of annual checkups or in terms of discounts on pharmacy products. All of this is very obscure to, to average family member. This is not we wake up in the morning thinking how I'm gonna use my healthcare insurance. But when we need it, we need a vehicle to use it very effectively and quickly. And that's the fundamental driving force behind the care wallet, which is our product in the hands of the consumer and the doctors, and the power of the chain to coordinate care when I need other people to help me. So that's a broad picture that we, uh, that we address. We address a lot of different scenarios in healthcare from the same platform, from the same wallet, by delivering the right card to the right person at the right time. Very, very cool. Well, that, that answers quite a few questions, but you know, I know you touched on a couple of scenarios there um, with uh, Medicare and Medicaid, and I understand you're uh, working on a partnership now uh, with a company that uh, provides technology for that. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so we have a number of partnerships. The one we recently announced is the HMS Tech, which is based in uh, in West Virginia, and they really focus on federal programs. So their focus is on the Veterans Administration and care for veterans and people who fought for the country and, and are now needing medical care. It's a very important topic in the sense that veteran care is very expensive, it's politically very important and challenging, and yet it does not have the kind of outcomes that one would hope for given the level of expense that is tied into that. And the, and the VA and the federal government and the president and everybody always talks about current and past administrations, how we can improve the VA. So HMS is uh, focused on those kind of federal agencies, not just the VA, but many other federal agencies that do similar programs, whether it's for the veterans or the aged or the blind or the disabled or the homeless uh, or the juvenile, doesn't matter. There are lots of different agencies that have to deal with a lot of different population groups. And our partnership with HMS is about bringing our platform as a foundation on which these programs can be administered more effectively. Because these programs today are very manual, very cost heavy in terms of administrative friction and cost. And they are typically perceived by both the patient and the doctor to be inefficient and, and uh, ineffective to, in terms of dealing with uh, from a human perspective, from a usability and utilization perspective. So we are targeting the heart of program inefficiency and program cost and program waste in these public programs. So that's our vision and mission with HMS. And it's, again, lots of opportunities in different areas. It's not one agency, one program, but rather looking at any and all agencies and what they're trying to do for the citizen or for the patient and how they can do it more effectively. But do it one card at a time. You can boil the ocean, 
we definitely can make a part of T. So our goal is to deliver very valuable, high value, high need, high use care cards to a specific population group rather than trying to serve every population group with the same app. So our platform is really designed to say, okay, what does a young adult versus a mature adult versus an elderly adult need at different parts in their lives and deliver the right card to their wallet? So the wallet stays with them through their journey, but the cards in the wallet change as they mature, as they have a family, as they, they grow old, as they retire, as, they, as their health conditions change, the cards in the wallet should change, but the, but the experience doesn't. Uh, so that's the, uh, the reason why we are very excited about HMS as a, one of the partners. We have another partner named Dinocratis that's focused on uh, different parts of uh, healthcare, more on the military side. And then we have uh, another partner we'll be, we are working with who is more focused on the Medicaid population, which is the, the underserved uh, and the, uh, those who are living near or below the poverty line. So as you can see, different groups are served by different companies and we are able to serve all those companies regardless of which group they're serving. Yeah, good stuff. So along with that, I know one of the biggest concerns that uh, affects everybody is, is fraud and Medicare fraud has been uh, the most prevalent. Uh, most recently, I guess just a few days ago, there was a report about a $1.2 billion uh, fraud that happened on Medicare around uh, braces. It was this whole network of doctors, uh, a brace manufacturer and uh, tele a telephone call center, uh, but they ended up shipping braces uh, to people that didn't even need it and charging, they were being charged more than $3,000 for those braces, for example and that it added up to billions. So could you tell me how uh, Medicare fraud could potentially be uh, lessened or even eliminated uh, by your technology? So uh, that's a very age-old problem, right? All public programs are susceptible to fraud, whether it is overuse of, whether it's a you know, secondary market or transportation vouchers, which are not used for the intended transportation, but rather bartered for things nothing to do with healthcare, or whether it is the delivery of services that were not needed or even not consented by the patient, or it is the um, you know, overprescription of opioids or things like this. There are so many opportunities to improve uh, the, uh, the way that programs are administered. Now, the government agencies that administer these programs work day and night. They really do to try to weed out the fraud. But the problem is, that you're always looking retrospectively. You're always looking backwards in the rearview mirror by looking at the claim data to say, well, this looks funny. We paid this claim, but there seems to be too many of the same kind of claims that don't seem to resonate with normal utilization patterns. No matter how good your analytics are, you're always looking backwards, which means the fraud has already happened and you're trying to catch it after it happens. And recovery is very minimal. You know, you're not gonna find that money sitting in a bank that you can go easily recover. You may be able to quantify how much was overcharged, but you can't get that money back easily, if at all. Our objective here is to use the distributed ledger technology as a way to prevent fraud from happening or to stop it when it is happening, rather, right? Same thing, uh, rather than just looking at it retrospectively. Retrospective analysis is great, but what, what can we do at the point of care delivery, at the point of billing, before payment happens? That's where the, our 
wallet in our platform is focused on. So specific use cases would be, for example, having a, um, uh, uh, a coordinator or a uh, auditor intervention when a certain pattern emerges before the claim is paid, before the brace is built the third time around at $3,000 a brace, at that point in time, we can trigger in the wallet either a consent and validation by the patient that, yes, I did indeed lose my first two braces, and I am attesting to the fact that I lost two, and this is my third one in 30 days. Or even if you get that attestation in the wallet, we can still then trigger additional verification before we pay this bill. So the objective here is to go from retrospective look back analysis to look at the right time at the right transaction or look ahead and project. We are focused on the real time nature of healthcare transactions in the wallet. And we can trigger cards that cause certain things to happen or certain things to stop if the pattern of abuse is detectable. So the, the primary objective of DLT in this case is to make all the parties who need to know what's happening be aware, but not to do so in the context of approving every transaction, but rather in the context of uh, reviewing the transactions in the wallet that need attention before it's too late and the money's gone out of the door. So we are essentially going from look back to look now, right? And that's the key objective. Now the use cases around that are many. It can be around prescription refills. It can be around wheelchair and uh, you know crutches and braces. Typically, durable medical equipment uh, or um, things like braces and wheelchairs and crutches are a magnet for fraud. And that's where we can capture physical evidence in the wallet on whether the, the device was actually shipped, whether it was really used, whether it was lost. Can the patient attest to it? Can an auditor uh, stop the payment and review it? Uh, it's all about real-time nature. And that's, I think, where the future of fraud prevention lies. But the more interesting part is if we can engage a care circle around the patient. If, and this is one of our key innovations is that if we can tie the patient wallet to a circle of people who care about the patient, then the probability of spotting the fraud when it is happening is 10x higher than when it is just the back office of an insurance company or a program administrator looking at it. So we are looking to incentivize care circle participants, the doctor, the specialist, the nurse, the, the son, the daughter, the granddaughter, to have visibility into what's happening around the patient and for the patient. So then the, 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 the number of eyes watching the patient are that many more, and therefore the ease with which fraud is done is that much less. So it's a couple of very big innovations we have launched in the market, uh, one of them being the care circle, which is essentially a group of concerned people that essentially surround the patient. Uh, and I, of course, for example, I'm in my mom's care circle. I want to know what's happening with her health care. Not that I want to tell her what to do, but I sure as heck want to make sure that if she makes her appointment, that she gets a prescription filled, that if she needs a certain device, that she has access to that. And if she's going to report three of them lost in three months, I'm going to be very concerned. And I'll be checking to see what is happening. So that kind of a... Um, Transparency is the ultimate antidote to the plague of fraud. That's what we are after. Very, very good. Yeah, I know that's a huge issue for a lot of people. The the fact that uh, I mean, fraud happens, and that 1.2 billion dollars is going to come from somewhere. I doubt we're going to recover, like you say, that much back. So that means uh, taxpayers are on the hook for that. On the other hand. 
uh, you know, access to care, I know, is a, a concern. I mean, for example, I know somebody that's turning 65, um, you know, which means he's now qualified for Medicare. And it's really complicated to figure out uh, how to sign up and how to access that care, you know, what kind of prescriptions are going to be covered under different plans. Uh, will the doctor even be covered? Uh, so it's a very complicated process uh, to go from an employer-based uh, system to, you know, something that's now offered by the, the government, you know, Medicare. So could your system, could you mention, you know, the health the, and your wallet, the healthcare card might change a little bit, but the experience would remain the same. Could you talk about how potentially uh, subscribers could, if, you know, policy people got together along with, you know, healthcare professionals to streamline that onboarding process? Could you explain how your technology might help that? Yeah, there are definitely. So, you know, the most obvious and the most exciting, not most exciting, but one of the key and exciting use cases here is that we want to be able to have the care wallet holder open their benefit card and understand what healthcare benefits they actually have access to. You know, I am been in healthcare all my life, and I'm insured by one of the big insurance companies, you know, which we all of us have heard about. I cannot tell you right now whether I have an annual physical exam free of charge in my benefit plan once a year, every other year, once every three years. Has it been used or not used? How much will I pay out of pocket? Will I pay anything out of pocket? Which doctors are authorized for me to go get my annual physical exam done? On and on and on. And that's pretty sad because I live and breathe healthcare all day long. If I don't know anything about my health plans and what benefits are included, then how the heck does anybody else figure this out unless they are really, you know, have nothing else going on in their life and they're going to read this 50-page PDF and try to figure out through this incredibly complex jargon what benefits you were given. And on the other side, my insurance company wants me to get take a physical. They clearly do. Because if they find out early on that I have some issue and conditions can be treated a lot cheaper now than when it becomes chronic. So they don't really benefit from me not going to my physical. But they also don't make it easy for me to understand this. So it's a dichotomy, self-serving, destructive dichotomy. Uh, sorry, self-defeating dichotomy, not even self-serving. Nobody's benefiting from this. So let's start by making it obvious relatable, usable benefit cards that I can see in my wallet, simple card that says, Pradeep, you have a, a pre-authorized, fully paid for annual physical. Here is your card. Touch it here. We'll show you all the available physicians in a 15-kilometer area from you. And we'll show you when they're available. Pick the next appointment that fits your calendar, and we match your calendar to the availability of the physician. And we recommend that you go on a Tuesday when you don't seem to have much on your calendar, and they're available. Would you like to go? If I, do, I have that ease of usage instead of logging into some website or reading some PDF, I'm much more likely to go because my wife is nagging me. When, is, when are you going to get your annual physical done? And I frankly can't even get started because I don't even remember the login to the website account of this insurer, which I've been with for eight years. So this is just nuts. So what we are trying to do is to make the benefits accessible by making them visible first. Second, is making the process of using them more effective. I don't need to call somebody to make an appointment. I don't need to, to sit on a website and try to remember login and password to figure out you know, what my benefits are, where I'm gonna see equally arcane language on the website telling me you know, what is in network and out of network. I want it to be usable. 
So delivering purpose-built cards that let me use my benefits easily and quickly is a second goal. The third goal then comes to how much am I going to pay? How much is the insurance company going to pay? How much will the government pay? What's my responsibility? What's their responsibility? That's completely opaque, bringing that as a cost card into the wallet. Uh, how do I get there? Transportation card in the wallet. How do I get my prescription filled? Well, you can buy it from Walmart or you can have it shipped to you online. Uh, here is your cost and difference in these two scenarios. And touch here to order from A or order from B. Prescription card. You get the picture. It's about simplifying healthcare to make it accessible and usable, whether it's by citizen or by patient or by employee or by a father or by a granddaughter. We need to be able to deliver a card in the format that the audience can understand use instantaneously, because otherwise we're just going to keep thinking of healthcare as abstract beast that nobody knows how to deal with, nobody knows how to slay. So this is what we are bringing. We are bringing accessibility, comprehension, and convenience to the, to the wallet holder. We can apply that to every program type, commercial, employer-sponsored, self-paid, government-paid, doesn't matter, because human beings have the same need. I need to understand. I need to be able to use it. I need to be able to pay for it. I need to be able to compare my costs and, and really be able to shop and consume healthcare no differently than I shop and consume for books on, online. So that transition away from opacity to transparency is, is the ultimate goal. It's going to be step by step by step. I'm not promising nirvana, but we can sure as heck make a huge dent in a very short time frame. Fascinating. Well, those are the majority of the questions that I had. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or uh, upcoming news that you'd like to share with us? So on the final thoughts, I would say that, you know, we have been uh, working on this mission. You know, I've been working on this mission for 30 years, but in the context of SolveCare and the SolveCare platform for a little bit, little bit over two and a half years. And the progress that we have made, both in the platform and its innovation and the usability in the care wallet and the configurability and the personalization of benefits through care cards, it, it is really remarkable, and, I, I, and I'm really proud of the team that has made it all happen and continues to work tirelessly on it. The second thing I'll say is that this is a long journey. What we want to accomplish is to bring the Amazon-like convenience to healthcare, and that's going to take time. But it's not as long as people think. It may not get done in five years, but it also doesn't need to be 50 years. And, and I tell my team all the time, this is a journey that I may not we may not finish properly in my lifespan, but your generation will definitely see the benefits of it, and you will definitely see it through. So that is the time span. It's not five months, and it's not 50 years. It's somewhere between, and we, we, have, we are starting down this path that we're going to deliver value every day, but we also know that it's going to take a while to really change this healthcare system for the better. And the third thing that I'll say is that the, that the adoption from the industry has outstripped our expectations. We expected a lot more resistance and obfuscation and uh, fighting, and that exists to some measure in every area, but particularly the payer industry, the insurance industry in the US and abroad has responded very strongly to our message of reduce cost, reduce waste, empower the patient, empower the physician, and we all win. That message is not new to them, and they, are, they respond to it. So we are showing them how to take this concept of patient-centric care and, and effective and enabled provider relationships 
how do you take it from the abstract to the concrete? And that's really where the care wallet is really bringing home the point. So we're very pleased with our clients and their receptiveness to changing processes and changing their relationship. They certainly, uh, I expected it to take a lot longer than it has. In terms of new announcements, we have just a, such a tremendous amount of activity on so many fronts, but we are about to announce a couple of major new clients. So as soon as those are signed, we will be um, uh, publishing them with clients consent in the market. And what I can say without naming them is that the diversity of the type of care networks that we are seeing on our platform, not just benefit administration, but disease management and pharmacy uh, prescription management and uh, financial management, I am really uh, excited and somewhat surprised at how many creative ways our clients are deploying our platform to build very different and very effective care networks. Really, no network looks alike. They all use the same platform, the same wallet, the same set of cards. But what they're doing with it is very different. And each of them is innovative in their own right. So uh, I think we're going to see um, a lot of really exciting new care networks pop up on our platform over the next couple of years. But what we have seen already is pretty, pretty amazing, and we're very excited about it. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you coming out. and. I hope to follow up with you again and you know, a month or two here, just to touch base and see how things are going. Uh, but it's been, it's been amazing. So thank you so much for, for coming out and sharing everything that's happening uh, with SolveCare. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jefferson, for having us and be a pleasure to be back. Thanks again. Thanks. This has been a production of BTC Managers Around the Block with Jeff and Dave.